The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Once again, I want to welcome you guys to Temple Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to say a special welcome to our mothers here today. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, you know, yeah, give them a big hand. Absolutely. Uh, just to say a few things about Mother's Day before we get into our time in the Word today. For those of you who have had, unfortunately, difficult moms, we want you to know uh, that we're sorry about that. We're, we're here for you. We're here in prayer, and I know that can be difficult today. We pray that God will heal those wounds. For those who would love to be mothers, and it's just a challenging time, there's difficulty in pregnancy. Please know we as a church are here. Uh, we support you and encourage you. For moms whose children have passed away, maybe in, in life or before they came out of the womb, we pray that God's peace would be on you, that God's love would be in your heart. For those whose moms have passed away, we grieve with you. And then for all those moms out there who did their best and are doing their best in all the chaos, we applaud you, we're thankful for you, and we pray that this day will be a special day. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're continuing in our Sermon on the Mount series. In the past, we've had some times where we've doing, done just Mother's Day sermons and uh, just separate things, but I think it was important for us to continue on uh, in our series. And last week, we dealt with a difficult topic of anger, and you might think to yourself, okay, well, maybe Mother's Day, uh, the Sermon on the Mount will bring us to a not-so-difficult topic, but it's not true. <laughs> We're actually going into adultery, lust, and divorce. Happy Mother's Day to you. So, uh, um, honestly, you know, joking aside, if we get this and we understand what Jesus is saying, I know mothers would be lots happier, families would be tighter, Relationships will be stronger. So I think as we look in the scripture today, you'll understand why we wanted to continue where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's look at that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus continues this pattern he started last week where he states the commandment, but then he kind of restates it in his own way to drive it home deeper. And so the audience here was very familiar with the Ten Commandments. This is a mainly Jewish audience that he's speaking to. So they know all about the Ten Commandments. They grew up hearing these Ten Commandments. But see, he takes the surface level meaning of each command and he gets to the heart of it the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law. He goes to practical areas of our lives that need to change. And so here he is in this difficult topic, just shooting straight, telling it like it is. I don't know if you've ever been listening to a sermon or a podcast or somebody talk about something and you say to yourself, oh, he could really use this one, right? Or she could use this link. I'm gonna send it to her right now. Well, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't allow for that. 
He doesn't let us stand at a, dis- a distance and, and kind of cast stones in other people's direction. Instead, he's like hitting us right between the eyes. He doesn't let us stand back and say, because he says, but I say to you, he makes it personal. Jesus basically says he's, he's taking your preconceived notions about these commands, putting them aside, and he says, listen to how I say this should play out in your lives and how I put this on your heart. And so for us, we can see he shows us what obedience looks like. Now, there's other people in our lives that do this and have done this. We honor mothers today. My mom put a lot of these things in my life, these commands, and really hit them home. And there's a lot of people that may have done that in your life, but no one, including your own mother, has the authority to put them on your heart like Jesus does. Because he is the king, he has the authority. He is the word. You look at John 1. He is the word. He's in the beginning. He's always been. He's the embodiment of all we know in scripture. But also he's the fulfillment of this law he's talking about. So who else can have authority than the one who actually fulfilled every law and kept every law without sin? He's the only one with authority to be able to speak to these commands and even drive them deeper into our hearts. So this is the moment the Jewish audience was waiting for, right? They're waiting for this Messiah. They're waiting for this man to come along and and take control and be able to take over the Roman government and be able to set up shop on the earth and be the king. And of course, they were misunderstanding and he hits them different. Again, you see in verse 28, he starts, 27 and 28, he starts in on adultery. But he goes deeper here. He says any sin really starts in the heart, including the sin of lust. See, Jesus combats the thought process that only those who actually commit the act or get caught in the act are the ones that are in trouble or are guilty. Now, it's kind of interesting when I'm thinking about this, uh, I think weird thoughts and I connect the dots weird and so sometimes I have to explain them and and, uh, my wife gets a little frustrated with that, but uh, you may as well, so I'll explain it this way. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been playing a game, like a board game or something like that, right? And you're playing a game and it's, you never played it before. I think of TJ, TJ does our video stuff, he's helped us with our junior high, he's now our, one of our pastors with small groups, and uh, just a, a great guy, but TJ loves games. And he would come over to our house, and he's done this regularly where he'll come over and he'll be explaining the game. He's like the game guru, right? And so he's hosting the game at our house, and we're just sitting there believing everything he says, right? Now, there are times where he explains the game, we start playing, and then he's like, oh, yeah, but I forgot uh, this. You can't do that, right? And I like to think it's whenever I'm winning, he says, oh, you can't do that. Uh, Sorry. And he's like, it feels to me, although he's not, it feels to me like he's changing the rules in the middle of the game. Like, I'm about to win. How do I go back five spaces? What's going on, right? And like, that's really what the Jewish leaders are doing here when it comes to adultery and this command. These Jewish leaders, they're kind of interpreting, hey, I get to interpret the rules here. I get to interpret the law and I get to say what goes and what doesn't. And hey, if I get sick of my wife and I'm kind of annoyed with her and she's not attractive to me anymore, they kind of figured it out how to go ahead and divorce her. 
and how to be okay with things. And so they kind of rewrote the law, reinterpreted it, and that's basically what's happening. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm taking it deeper here. You may make allowances for this, but no, I'm making this a deeper thing. So here he is going deeper, and the religious leaders are are obviously seeing excuses, and he's saying there really isn't an excuse. Jesus, though, is not just speaking to men here. This isn't beat up men day. Sometimes Mother's Day sermons are like that, where it's like, all right, let's rip the men for all they're doing wrong. Uh, Actually, we're just ripping all of you for all you're doing wrong, okay? Uh, That's just the way it is today. So here it is. Jesus blows up our pharisaical tendency to focus narrowly on sin, and instead he addresses and convicts the whole person. It's not just the outward action. We see sin... See, seeing sin as simply an outward action is like pulling a weed, right, just from the leaves. Now this one, they did a great job on that, but back when my dad told me to go out in the yard and pull weeds, and I would just rip it by the leaves because those stinking, those, especially those ones that are like prickly and are just really tough, and I didn't have the right tools, you know, and I'm just yanking, all I get is leaves. Focusing on the outward and not our hearts when it comes to sin is just like that. If we don't get at the root of the problem, then we just fight this frustrating battle that we just seem to always lose in. And so he's calling us to something deeper. He highlights the command against adultery, but it takes it further and deeper. He identifies our eyes, our thoughts, and our hearts as the initial sources of adultery. So maybe you're sitting here even now as someone who has entertained ideas of being unfaithful. You say to yourself, well, it's not a big deal. I'm not acting on it. Well, it doesn't take a rocket science scientist to figure out that the actions start with thoughts like that. The ultimate actions start with little thoughts that you entertain and somehow they just continue and they, they continue to grow inside of you and oftentimes it leads to action. Tim Keller, he does a great job explaining biblical concepts in understandable terms. So in a sermon he gave on this passage, he he talked about the idea, these viewpoints of marriage specifically, and even any relationship of consumer versus covenantal. And he talks about uh, the fact of being a consumer. You think about it this way, maybe you're a business owner, and you look at vendors that provide services, And as a consumer and as even a business owner, you're looking at them and they're always kind of being judged by you. They're always being uh, graded by you. And if they don't provide the right service or if they don't do what you ask or they don't give you that discount or whatever it is, then you're always looking for the next person to provide those services. That's a consumer viewpoint of marriage. You don't meet my needs, there's somebody else, we fell out of love, whatever it is in this circumstances. So as a consumer, it's a horrible way to be in a marriage. It's a horrible way for your spouse to have to live under that. But in the idea of being covenantal, on the other hand, the way God designed it, it's different. We see that covenantal, it's, it's a different vibe here. It's a holistic mindset that brings union to every part of your relationship, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or even sexual. 
It's a different way of looking at things. Keller sums it up this way. He says a consumer relationship says, you adjust to me or I'm out of here. A covenant relationship says, I will adjust to you because I've made a promise and the relationship is more important than my needs. My needs are less important than the sustenance of that relationship. So when it comes to this struggle and all temptations in the lust category, we need to take this thought process and daily make it our own. Here's the thought process. Am I going to be a Romans 12, one and two believer? Am I going to allow or maybe make myself, my body, my mind, my words, my heart, an act of worship? Am I going to embrace the word of God and let it transform my heart and my mind and cause me to be one who lives differently? Having my mind renewed by the word of God, or am I gonna continue down a path of hypocrisy, claiming I'm one thing and living another? We need to think about this statement for a second. What's written on your heart will reveal itself in action. I'm gonna repeat that. I want you to just listen and meditate on that for a second. What's written on your heart will reveal itself in action. You can pretend for a while, but ultimately you will do what your heart focuses on. So what can we learn for this? Maybe it's you. You need to pay more attention to what comes through your eyes because that oftentimes is where it goes to our hearts. What you dwell on on your mind, what is ultimately written on your heart. Take inventory or maybe what you've allowed to come in through your eyes on things like Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV, the uh, internet, whatever it is that you dwell on and focus on because the things that you allow to be written on your heart, those are the things that will ultimately come out. And we're gonna get into deeper sin issues when it comes to lust, but oftentimes, including myself, I give myself allowances for shows and things like that where it's like, well, it's just real life, right? But then you find yourself just seeing scenes that are just like, wow, did I just watch that? And for us, I think it's important for us to take inventory on what we allow in through our eyes and that seep deep down into our hearts. We don't know the writer of Psalm 119, but he says a powerful verse, this powerful statement in verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, the heart manifests itself in the physical. James 1, 14 and 15 says, but each person is tempted. When he's lured and enticed by his own desire, the desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, something to ask yourself on a daily basis is, am I living as a spirit-led person? Or am I letting something else drive me? Being spirit-led changes our actions, especially the actions when it comes to lust, when it comes to relationships with our spouse and relationships with others. So we've seen this struggle in 27 and 28, but we can move on to see that Jesus shows the utter intensity that we must approach this battle with. Look at verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Verse 30, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Talk about intense, right? <laughs> it's 
pretty intense here. Jesus, he deals with the eyes a lot in the scripture. When he's saying things and talks about it, he deals with the eyes, and I think it's important for us to see. He's trying to help us to look. Hey, how do you see yourself? How do you see others? How do I see you? How do I see others? When he's talking about the eyes, obviously it's more than just the physical eyes, but it's for us to see. He sees people differently. If we see women in a different way, how Jesus sees them, maybe we'll be a little different in how we treat our our tendencies and temptations toward lust, right? If we see people as made in the image of God, maybe it'll change the way we act toward others and the things that we take in and that we look at. And I've been hit with this hard being a youth pastor 20-some years, watching students have a gateway to so many things, including the area of pornography and the struggle that starts oftentimes in middle school or even younger, if you look at the stats that are out there, especially with the cell phone, especially the smartphone. And I've watched that struggle for 20-some years. Students who just are enslaved to this If we don't take it seriously, this is what we become. Listen to these details about pornography. In 2019 alone, the equivalent of nearly 6,650 centuries was consumed on one of the the world's largest porn sites. In one year, 6,650 centuries of this mess consumed. According to data from an analytics tool, as of May 2021, porn sites received more website traffic in the U.S. than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined in one year. The pornography industry generates $12 billion in annual revenue larger than the combined annual revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS. It's an epidemic. And that's just one part of lust, right? One component. But it's an epidemic in our world and in our country, and we have to take it seriously. I know this is uncomfortable, but guess what? We all need to sit in it because this is the world we live in, and this is the evil that some of you are addicted to, and it's wrecking your marriages. It's wrecking your relationships. It's wrecking the ability for you to even have a spouse because of the addiction that exists here. But there is hope and help. It's not all doom and gloom here. One of the websites that's one of the most amazing ones that we found on this uh, subject is called Be Broken. If you or you know of someone that's struggling, Be Broken is a great website where you can go for help, whether you're a guy or a girl or maybe a a, a mother or a father looking for help for a child. This is a great resource out there. There's forgiveness, there's grace. You're never too far gone in this topic, in this subject, in this sin. They're never too far gone. But Be Broken is a great way to find help and hope. See, I heard this statement recently about this subject. It's powerful one that applies to a lot of things in our life. It says, we love things and use people when God wants us to love people and use things. It's a pretty powerful statement. And in this area of lust and in this area of self-control and in this area of sin, if we 
really grasp this statement, it might help us in how we see others. We're called to love people, but we often use them for our own ends. On this specific topic, it uh, actually reminded me of a story of my dad uh, a few years back. <clears throat> my dad's, uh, I think, 77 now, just separate, celebrated his birthday, still going strong as a pastor, still getting after it uh, on the basketball court and can still throw a football like 60 yards. It's kind of crazy. He's just a freak. But <clears throat> thinking about his relationship, his life, a few years back, he called me and he said, hey, Tim, I got something to tell you. It's kind of tough, tough news. And he's like, I got, uh, went to the doctor. <clears throat> they had some concerning things going on uh, with my prostate. And they did some tests and turned out I have some cancer. And he said, you know, the doctor was pretty laid back about it, you know. And he's like, I kind of was thrown back and taken back because he's like kind of laid back. It's cancer, right? And he's like, yeah, but it's just a small amount. And at your age, it was a horrible thing to hear. But at your age, you'll probably die of something else. It's like, well, thanks, Doc, right? Uh, appreciate the vote of confidence. Um, but that's pretty much what he said, and some of you doctors know what he's talking about. But then my dad gave this short answer that was very blunt, and an answer I'd probably have to, and maybe some of you. He said, but it's cancer, and I want it out of my body. And the doctor's like, all right, you know, we'll take care of it. It's cancer, we need to get it out. You know, some of us, when it comes to this issue, when it, regarding lust, pornography, sin, adultery in this regard, we kind of look at it that way like the doctor. Well, it's just a little bit. Just a tiny bit. I barely can even see it. I gotta zoom in like 100 times to see it. You're gonna die of something else. Well, guess what? This is how we view these things sometimes, and we just live with them, kind of like Chase mentioned last week. You just get that lion cub as your pet. You just start petting the lion cub. Oh, isn't he cute? He even sleeps in my bed. And one day that lion cub grows up and most likely is gonna kill you. That's it. This is the sin we're talking about. And if you don't take it seriously, it's going to kill you. Maybe not physically, spiritually, emotionally, sexually, all these different ways. This all hits us. See, Jesus uses extreme physical figures of speech for a reason, to make his point. He actually reiterates this if you look down in chapter 18 in Matthew in verse eight, he even adds the foot. <laughs> so he talks about the eyes, he talks about the hands, and then he adds a foot later on in the book. So he hits it pretty hard. It's, Important to understand, this is not asceticism. Now, asceticism is the belief that a high spiritual and moral state can be achieved by extreme self-denial and even abuse of the body. There's people that took this passage so seriously that they literally harmed themselves and mutilated their body to be able to be in, in, like to conform to what God is saying. This isn't what we're talking about today. It's more like mortification, it's subduing one's bodily desires, not mutilation. So mortifying our bodies carries with it the idea that we need to stop tempting ourselves. Stop going back to the same websites, the same TV shows, compromising situations. It's, it's kind of, it's horrible, but it's comical at times where you talk to students or maybe even your own kids, and it's like, I don't know how I got myself in this situation. I don't know how it happened again. It's like, hello? You're literally putting yourself in your bedroom with a door closed with a computer. What do you think's gonna happen? 
You set yourself up for failure. You gotta stop tempting yourself. Stop doing this to yourself. This idea of taking control and letting the spirit take control is a rapper and artist, Lecrae. It's been around a while. He has a song called Killa, and I'm not going to actually perform it for you, although that would be comical. I'm gonna read some of his lyrics on this topic. He says, fools walk the path I'm on, never to be seen again, sipping on seduction while eating on some secret sin. No one will ever know, says the whisper in my ear, and I know it should be over this, but I ain't seeing clear. Evil looks so lovely, covered interlace of lies and this silky smooth seduction just manipulates my mind. He goes on to, man, his lyrics are just amazing to help us picture what is going on in this struggle of lust. See, Jesus doesn't say when your eye offends you to pluck out an eyelash. He doesn't say when your hand offends you, get someone to grab a ruler and slap the back of it, right? He wants us to take this seriously. He's saying here, this is life and death. This is how seriously you should see the sin struggle. It's truly a battle for our hearts. It extends to many things. And when it comes to this battle, I think it's important for us to not just think defensively. Oftentimes when we look at a battle, we just think defensively, and that's important. We need to be well defended against the attacks of the enemy. But oftentimes we can miss the offense. It reminds me of, uh, in my own morbid mind, I know, uh, again, I said I I think of weird things, and uh, this one I thought of was that in my own mind, I'm a legend as a coach, right? This is, again, in my imagination. I'm a legend as a coach, especially with my kids' sports teams. Like growing up, five, six, seven-year-olds, I didn't know anything about a soccer, but you know what, I was the best coach out there. I had my little girls ready to dominate Karampai Soccer Complex. Those teams wouldn't know the freight train coming their way, you know. It's just like, I got my girls ready. They know where their goal is. I'm a good coach. They're not kicking the opposite way. Success. I'm a great coach. And so in that regard, soccer, you could throw that out the window, but basketball. When it comes to basketball, man, I'm all over that thing. And so when I'm coaching, Skeeta and I, we're coaching together, we've coached for a long time together, and we had this sixth grade team at Ralph Wilson. And this sixth grade team, we developed them, not really, but we'd like to think we did, developed them into like amazing players. And uh, we had this one three one trap going. And if you know basketball, that one three one trap, when it's, ran, when it's run to perfection, it is a tough defense to get over. And we would get steals left and right, just fast breaks all day. But this was our defense, but we were going to the championship game and this team we were playing, man, they had, they had a really good defense and we had to figure out the offensive side. And so we took some practices to get ready. The girls, man, they executed the plan of perfection way better than we even planned it on our little whiteboard that we had. Sixth grade girls, pretty hilarious. But our defense was great, but our offense came to play that day. We won the championship, and uh, you can see a picture on the screen. There's proof we're actually immortalized on the Ralph Wilson Youth Club wall. You'll see that picture uh, till Ralph Wilson is no more, I guess. I don't know. But it's just one of those things that remind me, look, defense is great, but if all you do is play defense and there's never any offense, you're going to be frustrated. 
So we really need to think about offense as well. So a question for you. What are you actively and regularly doing to battle your flesh and be faithful to your spouse for those who are married? Or your future spouse if God desires for you to get married? What can you do to take a balanced approach of defense and offense? So here's some offensive approaches you can take from scripture. First of all, we need to see the battle as both external and internal. Again, if all you see it is action, you're gonna be pulling weeds and only pulling the leaves. You gotta start with the internal, which deals with idolatry. All forms of sin start with idolatry of the heart, including lust. We need to abide in Jesus. I mean, how many times have we seen that? First John, John, all over the Bible, abide, abide, abide in Jesus. Romans 8, 13, for if you love according to the flesh, you will, or sorry, live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Job 31, 1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Author John Stott says, deeds of shame are preceded by fantasies of shame and the inflammation of the imagination by the indiscipline of the eyes. 1 John 2, 15 and 17, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We can continue on. I'm not gonna quote all these scriptures, but Ephesians 5 talks about how wives today, you can learn how to love your husbands well. In that same passage, it talks about husbands being able to love your wives like Christ loved the church, giving themselves up for the church. Ephesians 6, we can talk about the armor of God and putting on the armor of God. These are all offensive approaches we can take along with defensive as well. There's a lot we can get into that we don't have time for. Verse 31 and 32 finishes with the topic of divorce and obviously we can all agree, I believe, that divorce is devastating. It's devastating. Verse 31 and 32 says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, again, he goes to a command, right? This is the third time. It was said, but I say. So here Jesus is again exercising authority over the law. We don't have time today to get into all the aspects of divorce and what we believe as a church. You can read them online on our website, but there are some important things to note here. When considering this whole passage, including lust, including adultery and now divorce, we can see that lust is where adultery starts and divorce is often where it ends. But it really continues even after divorce, but it's lust is actually the catalyst It's not just lust for a person though. Some people, they get divorced. Yes, obviously there's a lot of divorces that happen because there's cheating going on. There's other divorces that happen just because someone wants a better version of themselves and they see that and they don't see that person in the picture anymore. Personal freedom. I'm gonna do me now. And so there's a lot of ways that we go sideways here when it comes to lust, including marriage. I believe strongly that a good number of divorces are unbiblical. 
that they're carried out for unbiblical reasons. Now, if you sit here today and you've experienced that, please know there's lots of forgiveness and grace and mercy. I don't stand up here as somebody that's better than you. I need grace and mercy just the same. But if you've gone through that and you're still struggling even with the guilt of that, please know that that forgiveness is there. This repentance is there. Confession is good. Some of you need to be reminded that marriage isn't about your fulfillment. It's just literally not necessarily about you. The idea, this, this fairy tale idea that you complete someone is wrong. That's arrogant. And I know I've been known as an arrogant person sometimes, but this is just wrong to think somehow you're going to complete that person. If you try to do that, you're gonna fail and it's gonna be miserable. The only person that can complete you is Jesus. Jesus offers new life and he offers new life to your marriage. So as we focus more on the life of Jesus that transforms our hearts, as we daily offer our bodies as living sacrifices, wouldn't it be amazing that we could celebrate next year, 2024 Mother's Day, fewer divorces, right? Fewer families wrecked. Fewer separations, that we could rejoice with you, even those that are going through it right now, maybe rejoice in reunification of a marriage. And we understand there are marriages that just unfortunately have to dissolve in the, in the sense of someone who continually cheats on someone and someone who has these issues of abuse and, and there's times where there has to be a separation. But that's the exception, not the rule. And so for us, we can be encouraged to say, as we live for Jesus, as we focus on him, our lives can be transformed, our marriages can be transformed, our minds, our lustful addictions can be transformed and and changed and renewed into something beautiful. So I'd love that we're talking about this iconic sermon today, even though it's a difficult topic. Because these are the words of Jesus. And he brings healing. And what better, there's no better thing to offer on a day like today than healing. And grace and mercy. So throughout this series, we'll hear Jesus explain this simple yet profound statement. The king is here, and this is what the kingdom is about, and I'm the king. I'm the king, he's here, he's present. So as we wrap this up, I think it's important for us to think about James 1.22, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Not just to be here checking off a box, especially for your mom, because she wanted you to be here today, but actually listening and responding So here's a few questions to think about. Number one, do you recognize him as king? If you don't know Jesus as king, all this stuff we've talked about is is like foreign language to you because you don't have Jesus yet. But if you have Jesus and you have the power of the spirit living inside you, you can change. There can be a different life than addiction. There can be a different life than living a life pursuing after your own lusts and passions. But first, you have to know the king. You can win this battle. You can take this offensive and defensive approach. 
So do you recognize him as king? Is he actually king of your life? Some of you, man, you're so immersed and you're so deep into sin, you don't even know how far you are. Like if we took a real picture of you and, and like just this image of you and your sin, we like maybe see your eyeballs, you're so deep and you don't even know it because you're a slave to it. But only when you compare yourself to the perfect son of God can you see, man, I'm messed up. And I'm talking about me. But when we see that he's king of our lives, something starts to change. And the last question is, how should that change our actions this week? If we know him as king, then how should it change? So you can't have regular everyday victory without the king being on the throne of your life 24-7. This isn't, I put him on when I come to church. I grab my Bible or slap my crucifix around my neck and here I am. This is every day. This is hourly. This is minute by minute. We can't survive out in this world on our own. We need Jesus. We need his power in our lives. So this final song together, I'd like us to stand, go ahead and stand. And I'd like this to be a time where you really consider what you've heard today. Maybe confess these sins of lust and unfaithfulness attempting to find ultimate fulfillment on your own. And don't let this be a time where you're just like, all right, we gotta get into the, to the restaurant. It's early for Mother's Day, right? I see some of you. <laughs> this is what we're, we're called to do right now, is pause and confess. Let these words from God's word pour into your heart and break you down to the point where you just come before God and say, God, I messed up. I have no hope, no hope without you. Please let this be a time where you just pray and talk to God. If anybody wants to make this front and altar as they sing, feel free to do that. And after the song's over, may you have a blessed Mother's Day.